And if you're not there yet, you can open to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and that's where we're going to be this morning as we continue our series on the marriage rules and looking at what God has described for us in our relationships before Him. As you're turning there, just to let you know that uh, next weekend, my family are going to take a small weekend vacation. Uh, Next week, it's kind of unusual to us because we usually just take it all in June and don't see you for half the summer. But uh, we'll be uh, kind of piecemealing them along since we weren't able to do that this year. So just to make you aware of that. But please, it doesn't mean that's the end of the series. Uh, I had a question last week. Is it only one lesson? No, it's going to be a while, sorry. (laughs) We're going to do a lot of lessons here out of this section about what God has described for marriage and for relationships from uh, 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. Uh, Really interesting how the Apostle Paul is concerned about sexual immorality. Chapter 7 is going to open with the concerns of the married and the situations around that, and he's going to open with the problem of sexual immorality in marriage. But it's too easy to just jump into there as if that chapter had existed beforehand and not recognize the paragraph beforehand has been all about sexual immorality and the problems that exist there and the temptations that are there and the warnings that are there with that. It In verses 9 through 11, as we observed last week, we saw the warning there, don't be deceived. Uh, Those who are sexually immoral, those who are idolaters, adulterers, practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, they're not inheriting the kingdom of God. That's the warning that he gives. And I'd like to read that and go, well, that should be enough, right? Last week's lesson should be enough. He said it. All those sexual sins, every single one of them, they're all condemned across the board. But I think Paul recognized in his own day and time a situation that is fairly similar to our day and time where we go about trying to make arguments to justify our behavior. And that's what Paul is going to deal with here, is that there are a number of declarations that the Corinthians were making that now the Apostle Paul deals with head on and says, here's the problem with your way of thinking. And you'll see that throughout throughout the text, as was read for us to start with, verse 12 is the first argument that they make where they just simply say, well, all things are lost. Lawful for me. Great, great declaration by them. All things are lawful. And of course, we don't hear anything like that today about, you know, I can do whatever I want to do. Uh, it's my body. I'll do whatever I think is best. It's my desires, my wishes, my wants. I can do whatever I want to do. All things are lawful for me. You don't have any right to tell me what to do. You don't have any way to put rules upon me. I'm going to do what I think is best. It's my body. I have rights over my body and I will do as I please. And so what the Apostle Paul is going to do is really, what we're going to look at, give four very strong arguments, and I think from smaller to greater in order, of these arguments of why this kind of thinking is absolutely ridiculous. And I think the first thing that is useful to consider that what he does here with this argument, verse 12, he says, you might be saying all things are lawful, but he says, but not all things are helpful. 
Not all things are helpful in this. You can't just say, well, because I want to do it, that makes it good. That makes it right. That's what's going to be good for me. These are the things that I want to do. And so it's okay. And I want us to recognize, as he says, you know, you might think that all things are lawful, but that doesn't mean that it's good for you. That doesn't mean that it's helpful. That doesn't mean that's what's good for your life. And I want you to consider, I really do think that this kind of thinking, I would put this in the box of childish thinking. Because this is kind of how a child operates. I'm going to do whatever I want to do, and you can't tell me what to do as they go run into a street. All right. That may not be helpful. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of behavior that we often exhibit, especially when it comes to this, I want to do what I want to do. And the Apostle Paul says, you didn't recognize that just because you want to do something and you think that it's good for you doesn't mean that it is good for you. It doesn't make it helpful. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't mean that it's useful to you. And sometimes we have that tendency to put that on our desires. Well, because I want to, it must be good. Um, I happened last night to be listening to music and uh, Cheryl Crow came on the radio. And you might remember this one where it says, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. And I went, well, that fits what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's our way of thinking. Well, if it makes you happy, it must be fine. How can you say it's, it's a problem? And he says, well, think about it just on the basic logic of it all. It may not be helpful. It really may not be what's best for you. And don't think just because it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. Yeah, it can. There's a lot of things that in the moment may make you happy that reap very great consequences later on and is not helpful to you. Not only spiritually, but even physically and emotionally when we talk about sexual morality. There's all kinds of problems to this kind of thinking. And so he says, you say all things are lawful. I say, that doesn't mean it's helpful. That doesn't mean it's good for you. That doesn't mean that's a smart decision. That's a very childish way to live life. Well, it's what I want to do, and so I'm just going to do it. Well, that's a disaster. And he goes right along with that in verse 12 as he repeats it again. All things are lawful for me. And he says, yeah, but I'm not going to be dominated by anything. I'm not going to be mastered by these things. This is a great message that the Apostle Paul gives to us. Just because you think it's good, recognize you may become enslaved to it. And that is certainly true when it comes to the flesh. Certainly true when we talk about sexual immorality. An extremely addicting kind of thing that can master you where your mind goes, I don't want to do this, but your flesh is screaming at you to do these sins, to fall into the temptation because you've become mastered by it. You've become dominated by it. You've become enslaved to it. They're saying, hey, all things are lawful. We can do what we want. And he says, but don't you recognize there are activities and behaviors that can make you enslaved? That now your flesh begins to yearn, desire, and scream at you, even though your mind is going, don't do that. I know that's not right. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. But your body's going, I want to do that. And he's giving a warning here. There are activities that you become enslaved to. 
And I think so important to the context of sexual immorality, because the flesh, I believe, is easily enslaved. Uh, my dad taught me this illustration. He taught me this when I was a kid. I continue to teach it to you. Sin, all kinds of sins, but particularly sexual sins especially, is a bag of potato chips. Can't eat just one. You do it, and then you do it again, and again, and again, and again, and again. And it's what he's getting at right here is, this is not something that you do once and walk away from, and it's okay. And that's the lie of sexual immorality. That's the lie of an affair. That's the lie of pornography. That's the lie of all these things that we look at and engage in. Oh, I just, just this one time, and that'll be it. You're lying to yourself. That's not the way it's going to go. You'll become enslaved. It will dominate you. It will control your mind. You will fight against it. And it will occupy your time and you won't be able to get out of it. He's giving this warning here. Understand the problem of sexual immorality becomes dominating and masters you and controls you. And so don't simply say, well, all things are lawful for me. Verse 13, he pushes it. Even further, listen to their argument. I think the quotations are correct here. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. That, that's not what Paul is saying. This sounds like another argument that the Corinthians are making. Is that they are simply saying, well, you know, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach is meant for food. And so you can understand the argument. Well, then these... Uh, Desires that I have need to be fulfilled. And so if I have a particular sexual desire, I'm allowed to go do that. It's okay. Just like when I get hungry for my stomach, there's food. And so these desires that I have of the flesh will just go out and do whatever you like. It's fine. Be sexually immoral. Don't worry about it. But listen to what he says there in verse 13 when he says, and God will destroy both one and the other. But listen to this. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. A very powerful argument that now he makes here. Just because you have these desires does not make it right. I want to go do something, so I'm just going to go do it. And we have this tendency to think, well, just because I feel like I want to do something, that makes it okay. And here they just simply pawn it off as, well, you know, just like if you're hungry, go ahead and eat. So if you have the desire, just go ahead and do it. No big deal. Just do what you feel like. Just do what sounds good to you. And he's telling us here that desire is not a license for us to do as we please. Let me illustrate that for a moment. I don't think I'm the only one, but if I am, it's okay. You can pray for me. But let me illustrate it this way. When you're driving, you might have the desire to drive somebody off the road because of the way they're behaving in front of you. Am I the only one that feels that way? It seems like it's getting stronger and stronger. (laughs) Does that make it right? I feel like driving them off the road. They're driving me crazy. Why won't they just go? Why are they cutting me off? Why are they stopping at a green light? Why are they texting while they drive? I want to drive them off the road. Is that right? Hey, I feel like doing it. Everybody go, no, that's ridiculous. 
But then we come to sexual desire. Hey, I felt like doing it. So? So? It doesn't matter that you have the desire. Since when has it ever been before God that as long as you wanted to do it, that's okay? You know, God just excused everything in the scriptures because somebody went up to him and said, you know, that's what I wanted to do. I just felt like it, you know, the desire came over me and I did it. God was like, oh, it's okay because you wanted to. No, never, never. Just because we have the desire does not mean you have the right to do as you please. That's the false argument the Corinthians are making. It's like food for the stomach. Hungry, do it. So if you have sexual desire, then do whatever you want. Fill the urge. Fill the need. That's what our world tells us. We're squarely in that argument in our society today. Whatever sounds good. Whatever hits that desire. Whatever seems right to you. It's okay. Go for it. Because you wanted to. It was your desire. To go back to the prior argument. All things are lawful. It's your body. And you have the right to do whatever you want. See, the Bible's not that antiquated, is it? The Corinthians are our situation as well. The very same kind of thinking, the very same kind of arguments that are being made. And so he's making the point here that God is in charge of our body and that our body was meant for the Lord. What a great statement. Verse 13 says the body is not meant for sexual immorality. That's not why God created you. Now, that's a great thought. Now, that shouldn't be depressing, but really wonderful. God didn't make you to be like an animal just to do whatever feels right at the moment. He made you different. And He didn't make you so that you would just fulfill every single desire. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. But for the Lord, God made you for Him. That's particularly um, powerful and, and spiritually reaching. God didn't just make you to randomly walk the earth doing whatever you want. He made you for Him. You're here. For Him. That's good news. He made you for Him. Not just for random acts of whatever in life, but to serve Him. To be His instrument. What a great picture of what He describes for us here with that. And to go a little bit further, notice the rest of verse 13 when He says, And the Lord for the body. And I think that is really powerful also. At least two things we can get from that. Not only you were made for Him. He says that the body was not meant for sexual morality. The body was meant for the Lord. But then to say, the Lord for the body. What God is commanding us in these things about sexual morality and purity and marriage. It's for your good. To state that another way, God is for you. And the reason that he gave these rules and laws was for your good. We have a hard time with that. We want to picture as the God is the oppressive God who's trying to keep me from having fun. 
you know, all the things that I want to do, and he just keeps saying no, and he's just a, really a no fun guy. Parents, let me ask you this. Any parents in the room? The rules you give your kids is because you want them to have absolutely no fun. Right? <laughs> no. Why do you have every rule that you have? But that's for their good. Every rule exists because it is for their good. This is where faith comes in. We recognize the reason why God has said these things about sexual immorality, about our desires, and about marriage, because this is for our good. God is for you. He is for the body. He made your body. And He's giving you the rules to govern it because that is for your good. Which brings on the second point, that means the body is not inherently evil. And sexual desires are not inherently evil. There's been like a stream of thought, I think, from a very long time. You know, well, these things are evil and must be abstained from. It's kind of about chapter 7 1 verse 2 opens. You know, it is good that we never touch a woman. Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) God made you. He made these desires. He, He made the man and woman. He made Adam and said, it's not good for him to be alone. He told him, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He said, leave father and mother and be joined to this wife. And the two became one flesh. God made your body. He gave you your desires. He's not preventing your fulfillment, but it needs to be fulfilled in a God approved way. God's not blocking everything. He's telling you, this is the way to fulfill your desires so that's for your own good. Wow, FPNL. <laughs> there you go. Oh. <laughs> if it comes back, it comes back. We'll see. It is important for us to understand that what God is trying to do for us is give us these rules about our bodies. Not that we would be oppressed, not that we would be upset, not that we would be angry or think that God is holding out on us. The original lie of Satan to eat. God's holding out on you. Don't you see this wonderful tree God's holding? God's not holding out on us. He is teaching us what is best. This is what is good for you. And so when you read those words of verse 13, that the body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord. But don't end there. The Lord is for the body. The Lord is for your good. And the reason why he said these things is this is what is good for you. This is what is good for your body. And how these desires need to be fulfilled is in a God-approved way. Now, watch how he presses this on then in verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? This is really the fourth argument, if you will. It's kind of three arguments, but this one kind of goes along with this. When he says, don't you know who you are? You are joined to Christ. You belong to Him. Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. 
He just says, don't you know who you belong to? You belong to Christ. The whole idea of sexual immorality ought to be unthinkable to the Christian is basically the argument. You are joined to Christ. You belong to Him. Now, I think the Apostle Paul knows, as was just done in verse 13, we want to go, why? (laughs) Why? Why is that such a big deal? It's just sexual immorality. It's just the body. What does it really matter? We can still be joined to the Lord while we give our bodies to these kinds of other things. What does sexual immorality and those kinds of things really matter? Why does it matter at all? Because that's the way we want to justify it too. Oh, I can serve God and give my body to these kinds of sinful behaviors. No big deal. Well, listen to what he says. Verse 16. Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. For he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Here's the basic argument that's involved here. It's not just an act. I am really troubled about how much that's been portrayed in our society. I happened out of the corner of my ear, if you will. I was, just, I was reading a book and I heard a TV show make that very declaration. It's nothing. It's just sex. It's nothing. That's how it's thrown around now. It's just an act. It's not a big deal. It's just the body. It doesn't mean anything. Paul argues strenuously against that thought. The Apostle Paul says, that is not true. Listen to what he says there in verse 16. Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. There is more going on. This is a joining. This is why it's reserved for marriage. This is why he uses Genesis 2 here. Because there is a joining together that is not just simply of body, but this is an emotional attachment. This is a joining of body and spirit together is what he argues to boil it down into something so basic and just like, oh, well, it was just nothing is lying. There is a reason why. There is a reason why. Of all the things that can be harmful and damaging in a marriage. Sexual immorality is the one reason you get to have a divorce. There's a reason. And it's not because it's just simply an act and oh, who really cares? It's no big deal. It is such a big deal that God says the joining of two together in marriage that is not to be broken is allowed to be broken for that. That's how serious it is. That's how grave it is. And he makes this argument pretty simple. If you're joining in sexual immorality, you can't be joined to Christ. That's what he's laying out here in verse 17. If you're joined to the Lord, then you're one spirit with Him. Verse 16, if if you're joined to prostitutes, then you're joined with them. It's one or the other. Don't fool yourself into thinking 
that you can just do whatever your body wants, fulfill all of these fleshly desires, and think you're still joined with Christ. Mm-mm. It's not happening. You are either joined with Christ and you are saying no to that world, or you are joined to that fleshly world and you are saying no to Christ, but you can't have both. You can't have both. That means a total rejection of what the world tries to tell us about how this is all healthy for us, all the sexual morality is very healthy for us. You know, it's all very good for us. We need these things. It's, it's just natural. It's normal. It's just like you know, all these kinds of things. No. These things are very damaging. These things are sinful. And God is trying to teach us that this is not just a fleshly act that's not a big deal, but it is a joining not only of body, but also of spirit. I think it's important to take an aside with verse 16 for a moment because there have been some who have made the argument that what verse 16 is saying is that when you're sexually immoral, you become you become married to the person. The tying together in verse 16, don't you know that, that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two shall become one flesh. Is that arguing then that if you are sexually immoral, that makes you married? That's sometimes how that's been presented. I'll just observe with you a couple of things. It's not the point of the text. And that's not true anywhere in the scriptures where that argument is put together. You're not going to read anywhere where, okay, this person was sexually immoral, now therefore they're married. That's not ever laid out that way. The consequences are not described that way. That's not the picture that is used in the scripture. So the question has to be, then what is Paul arguing? And you know I like to be very logical, and I see a very logical two points and conclusion argument here, and I think it's pretty straightforward. Point one, you're joined to Christ. If you're a Christian, you belong to Him, your spirit's with Him, your body belongs to Him, you're joined with Him. Therefore, number two, second premise, it's not just an act, but it is a joining together. Therefore, sexual morality means you're no longer joined to the Lord. And we need to look at that that way. There's not a more intimate thing two individuals can do. And that's the argument that he's making. Point one, you're supposed to be joined to the Lord. So if you're joining with a bunch of other people, you're joining with somebody who's not your wife or your husband, you're not joined to Christ. You're not joined with Him at all. And that's how this whole section began when He told you, don't be deceived in verse 9. Don't be deceived by the implications and the consequences of what sexual immorality is and what it does and how important it is for us to remain pure before God. Now let me draw some conclusions here that he's going to use here. And I wanted to go all the way to verse 20, but I realized as I was writing this, there was no way I could do that because I've got 30 more minutes for verses 18, 19, and 20. So in two weeks, verses 18, 19, and 20. But notice the very next words. We'll, We'll spend much more time on it. So conclusion one, you have to run away from sexual morality. That's how verse 18 opens. This is not something to be played with. This is not something we can go, ah, well, everything's lawful for me, it's no big deal. 
nor is it something that we should play with and go, well, I can do it once or twice, and I can walk away, and it won't be have any power over me whatsoever. Oh, it's extremely powerful. And you'll become enslaved to your desires. You'll become enslaved to your flesh. He warns you of, of those very things. And he just gives some very useful, practical Arguments as to why to run away from sexual immorality. Number one, it is not helpful. This is not good for you. I don't care what Satan says. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what psychology says. God says, not helpful. It's not what God made you for. This is not the way to use your body. Number two, it's going to control you. It's going to master you. I believe strongly this is one of the one of the who knows however many infinite reasons God may have for these things to be maintained in marriage, but this is one of the reasons because it can so easily dominate your life. You start being sexually immoral before marriage and outside of marriage, you're gonna have a lot of trouble trying to put that back in Pandora's box and stopping those kinds of desires and getting that back under control again. These things are for marriage only. Number three, your body doesn't belong to you. Your body is for serving the Lord. That's why God made you. God did not make us to be animals. God did not make us to do whatever we desire and whatever we think is best. And number four, and the strongest one of them all, if we are doing these things... If we're involved in any of these forms of sexual morality, we have no relationship with Christ. You're either joined to Christ or you're joined in sexual immorality, but you're not joined in both. It can't happen. The Apostle Paul is going through this before he gets to his marriage questions because this destroys marriages. This devastates marriages. And we have to recognize what we are doing with sexual immorality. That we are wrecking our souls. We are wrecking our bodies. We are destroying marriages. From whatever it is, from what we think is small or great, from affairs to pornography, we are destroying marriages. We are wrecking marriages, living in a fantasy, not in a reality. Living in a world where we want easy self-gratification rather than a deep, emotional, loving relationship that sacrifices for another person. We have to admit what we're doing. We are being selfish in sexual immorality. We are trying to gratify our personal desires and have no concern for the other person when we're involved in it. I was trying to cobble together some of the studies that our our world does. You've probably heard for a very long time that studies were done about If you live with somebody before you're married, how the divorce rate was 50% higher than it was if you were just married and then in that committed relationship and covenant to be together. And was reading like the last two years studies have come out and they're trumpeting, oh no, that's not the case anymore. It's actually very similar. There's hardly any difference now between if you live together before marriage and if you don't. 
But here was what was interesting to the statistic. It's not that the divorce rate has gone down for those who live together before they're married. That's not what has changed. What's changed is everybody's getting a divorce for no good reason. That's the problem. This kind of behavior, this kind of thinking that marriage is irrelevant, that marriage contracts and covenants today are basically no stronger than the paper that they seem to be written on, is devastating, devastating, not only to yourself, to your spouse, to your children, to your family, to even your brothers and sisters in Christ. The damage is far-reaching. These are not innocent, insignificant sins. And it is important that we do not adopt the thinking of the world that looks at sexual immorality and says, well, it's really not a big deal. It's my body and I can choose whatever I want to do and I'm only harming myself. No, you're not. Yeah, you are harming yourself. And you're harming yourself more than you realize. You are damaging yourself spiritually. But recognize you are damaging way, way more people than that. Any kind of sexual immorality is damaging to your future marriage or the marriage that you are currently in. Destroying homes, destroying souls. Do not be deceived. You are enslaving yourself into something that you are unable to will yourself out of. The desires of the flesh are strong. And our heart can easily be captured by lust. And we begin to no longer control the flesh as God has instructed us to. Please hear what God is saying. God made your body. And God gave you those desires. But he's given you the way to fulfill those desires. There is a God-approved way. And it is not up for us to decide how we will choose to obey our desires. Instead, we will submit those desires to the will of God. And recognize that our body was made for him. And we will subjugate those desires to his will. Because the most important thing that a Christian desires is to be joined with Christ. And we will forsake the desires of the flesh if it means that we can be joined with Christ. And we will say no to the flesh. We will say no to the world. We will say no to any of those temptations because we want to be joined with Christ and that is our greatest, greatest, greatest desire. I look forward to picking up the rest of this with you in a couple of weeks. You pull your songbooks out, we'll sing invitation song. And we invite you to come to Jesus and to see Him as greater than anything else in this life. To find your joy and your fulfillment in Christ alone. And by doing that, by looking to Christ to satisfy, then the rest of life falls into order. And the other desires that you have in life will now be 
satisfied in a proper godly way. It is so sorrowful to me to see that we live in a world where people are just absolutely destroying themselves because they continue to yield to the desires of the flesh and will not follow God's way. Destroying themselves. Destroying marriages. Destroying homes. Destroying their own bodies. Because we live in a time now where sex is everything. Make God everything. And recognize that God created this so that the desires would be met in God-approved ways. He's not against you. He's not against your body. But He wants you to have a satisfying life in Him. And our invitation song, we're inviting you then to see that satisfaction comes in Christ alone and in His way. Will you turn away from your sins? Will you turn away from this kind of thinking? Will you turn away from this life? Turn away from sexual immorality. Make a decision today that the sins that I have committing and following my own desires and following the desires of my flesh, that's not what God wants for me. I'm separating myself from God by joining to these things. And so turn away from that. Repent of that. Walk away from that. Put obstacles against it. Say no to those temptations. And say yes to your Lord Jesus. Obey Him and serve Him with all of your heart and you will find the satisfaction you're looking for there. Follow Him with all of your heart. Confess Him to be the Lord, the Son of God, who rules over heaven and earth and rules over you, for He made you. If you have not been immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, that is the place to start. That's where you begin your relationship with Jesus this very morning. These sins that He has described, God says, I'll wash them all away. Every single sin, even sexual immorality, every single sin, Jesus cleanses. If you'll turn away from those sins and come to Him. Will you be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins today? Won't you come now while we stand and while we sing?